Good morning. Welcome to worship at Germantown Presbyterian Church. You hearty that are gathered here in the sanctuary and those of you that are worshiping with us online, we are so glad that you're here to worship and glorify Almighty God with us in this space and also uh, online. So I invite you to uh, let us know that you're here to sign the fellowship pads, whether that's online or there in the pew. And I want to share with you a few announcements. Um, This evening's worship, we're going to make a decision at 2 this afternoon, so we will send that out on an e-blast and also um, uh, on social media. So, you know, pay attention to that. Uh, We'll be determinate kind of on our singers and, and how many we can get here. So we'll make a decision this afternoon about that. Um, continuing in our COVID uh, task force, just a reminder that we recommend that you wear a mask when you're inside buildings and uh, that you absolutely need to wear a mask when you're working with children. So uh, those recommendations. Um, This afternoon at Parkway Gardens United uh, Presbyterian Church, there is a worship service to honor Dr. Martin Luther King and that's at 3 o'clock. It also will be live stream on Parkway Gardens United Presbyterian Church's Facebook page. So that is always a wonderful uh, worship service. Tomorrow, you can see this in your bulletin, uh, there is a race for reconciliation. And that is at noon at AutoZone Park. And you can find more information in your bulletin about how to register and participate in this community-focused event designed to showcase that the dream of unity is alive in Memphis. Save the date for February the 5th at 6.30. We're bringing back, or we, Congregational Life Committee is bringing back, um, guess who's coming to dinner. So um, you can see a sign-up table uh, to be a host uh, out here in the AC um, lobby. And you can see Sherry Horner for more information about guess who's coming to dinner. Um, And you can also find more information in your bulletin. So we're hoping that will be a good event again this year. Um, The church office will be closed tomorrow in celebration of Dr. King's birthday. There's a new event coming called GPC Connect. You'll remember this as Parents' Night Out. And so this is a fun event for uh, children to hang out with church friends and to do crafts and to dig deeper into their relationship with Jesus. This is going to start again on January the 28th. It does require registration. You can find more information on the website and also in your bulletin. GPC Connect starting January 28th. Uh, Blair Hayes, our new director of children's ministry, is also a good contact person for that. Another new event called Worship Works. We know this as Ring and Sing. So this is our rebooted children's music and arts program for preschoolers through fifth graders. And it's going to involve all the elements that you're familiar with with regard to Ring and Sing, but also some art and drama and, of course, the ukuleles. And that is going to start next Sunday, January 23rd at 4.30. So it's an hour-long program starting tomorrow, I mean, starting next Sunday at 4.30. 
youth group, uh, Christopher has, and the adults around him have decided that we're going to cancel youth group this evening just to be very cautionary um, about our uh, youth driving to and from GPC because, you know, we don't know, this may refreeze. So, um, again, we're going to go ahead and, and let go of youth group for tonight. And uh, one other note is that we have lots of donuts this morning uh, because, of course, we pick them up. Our deacons pick them up. They're, um, they're in the activity center. Did they get moved to the lobby, Sherry? Okay. They're in the activity center. I invite you to take a box of donuts home because we have lots of donuts. So let's just spread the wealth and just take a box of donuts, okay? I invite us now to turn our hearts and our minds to the worship of Almighty God. Please stand as you are able, both here and in the sanctuary and at home, and join in the call to worship as printed in your bulletin. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before our God with joyful songs. There is joy in this place. God's steadfast love extends to everyone. God reaches out to us in forgiveness and compassion. Give thanks to God. Praise God's holy name. Let us worship God with joy in this place.
The Lord is near. The Lord promises to hear our prayers and respond. Let us then come with confidence before the Lord our God, confessing our sins to Almighty God and to one another. Let us pray. Holy God, how we must try your patience. We often doubt when we should place our faith in your abiding presence. We think that we have to have all the answers and judge others who fail to live up to our expectations. We think that we are the one thing that matters most in life, so we place ourselves at the very center of our own universe. Forgive us, we pray. Forgive us when we show our shallow our faith is. Help us to really understand the miraculous ways in which you have already worked in our lives and will continue to work as we journey in faith. Bring us to the light of joy and let it flood through our whole beings that we may be transformed into people of joyful service and faith. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. In the name of the one who lives and moves among us, I declare to you that you are forgiven and free to love and serve the Lord our God in all the world. peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and also with you. Do we have any children? Okay. As our children come forward for the children's message, please turn and wave at your neighbors around you and also to think of those who are usually here in the sanctuary. Reach out to them and share the peace of Christ this afternoon or this week. Remind them that you love and miss them and check on their well-being. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are we doing, guys? Good to see you. Oh, so my name's Mike. We've seen each other before. It's good to see you guys. Happy New Year. So today I have a story. Okay, so a long time ago, Jesus went to a wedding, but he wasn't alone. Jesus went to a wedding with his mom, Mary, and 12 of his best friends, his disciples. So they go to this wedding, and the couple gets married, and everyone is so happy. Everyone's crying, and it's great. And then comes the party. So right after the wedding, everyone goes, and they have this massive party. It's probably one of the best parties some of these people had ever been to. 
There's music and there's dancing. There's such good food. And then something happens. Jesus' mom, Mary, looks over and she notices something. She notices that the servers are really nervous because they have just run out of wine. So she leans back over towards Jesus and says, hey, they're out of wine. And Jesus kind of whispers to his mom, so what? That's not our problem. It's not our business. But like a good mom, she calls the server over anyway, and she says, do whatever he tells you to do. I imagine Jesus kind of smiling a little and maybe rolling his eyes a little bit because his mom knew better. So he gets up and he follows the servers out and they go through the kitchen out in the back and they show him all of the empty wine bottles. And they don't know what to do. But over to the side, Jesus sees these massive, I mean, huge six stone jars, and they're supposed to be used in church. Well, he says, take those and fill them up with water. And then what I want you to do is take that water to the chief party planner and see what he thinks. So they're like, I mean, okay, whatever. So they fill all the jugs up with water, and then they take it to the party planner, and something happens. The water was transformed into wine, but not just any wine, like the best wine ever. And the party planner's eyes get massive, and he's like, this is good. (laughs) And then he goes to the guy who just got married. We call him the groom, and he's like, dude, you saved the best wine for last. When normally, we save the worst for last. And you know, sometimes this happens. Sometimes we run out of a good thing. Maybe you had a long day at school, and you've run out of patience. And so you get frustrated with your brother or with your parents because you're tired. Or maybe you run out of joy because you're kind of having a blah day and maybe it's gray like today and you just don't feel happy. Or maybe you run out of wanting to listen to your parents' respect because you're just not in the mood. This story reminds us that Jesus is the source of everything that we need. So this week, when you run out of something, I invite you to say just a quick prayer and ask Jesus for help. Help me to want to do my homework because I really don't. Or help me to wake up because I don't want to go to school. Or help me to be nice to my siblings or my parents or my friends when I'm in a bad mood. And something will happen that you don't expect. Jesus shows up and he gives us what we need to not just follow him, but take delight, take joy in following him. Okay? Sound good. Yeah, buddy. 
you usually run out of candy. Pray for a grocery store to be open and for mom and dad to take you there and see what happens. Yeah, I run out of candy frequently too. You need help. (laughs) Okay, so let's pray together. Okay, yeah. All right, so let's pray to God. Join me. Dear Jesus, great job. Thank you so much for being everything that we need. Help us this week when we feel empty to rely on you to fill us up. In your name we pray. Amen. Great job. Thank you so much. All right, I got to try not to trip when I get up with my pastor dress. Let us turn our hearts and our minds to Almighty God in prayer. Let us pray. Holy God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you've gathered us into this space. You've brought us here together so that we might worship and glorify your holy name. And so in this moment, we pray that you would still our minds so that we might hear your word to us, read and proclaimed, and that we might then be transformed into more than merely hearers of your word, but truly doers of your holy word. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Our first reading this morning is from the prophet Isaiah. Chapter 62, I'm going to share with you verses 1 through 4. So this is the prophet Isaiah writing to those that are in exile in Babylon. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a burning torch. The nations shall see your vindication and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You should be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No more will you be termed forsaken, and your land shall no longer be called desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her. And our gospel reading this morning comes from the gospel according to John. This is the narrative from John about the first miracle that Jesus shares. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. 
Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is this to you and me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars used for the Jewish rites of purification, each jar holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said, Fill the jars. And so they filled them with water to the brim. And then he said, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they did. The steward tasted the water that had turned to wine. He didn't know where it came from, although the servants who had drawn the water knew. The steward then called out to the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. The word of God for the people of God. Goodness gracious, it is so good to be in your presence this morning My friends, it brings me such joy and delight to be on this side of recovery from healing what was for me quite the journey. I've been ill for a couple of weeks with something called acute lingual tonsillitis. I'll let you Google it because I had to do the same. But I was also filled with joy and delight to be blessed with these days and this opportunity for a reflection that God offered to me in these these days of feeling lousy, I was paying attention to how God was, the Holy Spirit of God was just blowing wild and free all around me, and, and I was being blessed by people who were caring for me. And what a blessing that was to be able to see the power of God it's Holy Spirit revealed to me in that way, and it, was, it really did bring me great joy and delight. And so for all of you that have reached out and cared for me in these ways, I, I thank you. I'm so grateful to you. These words, joy and delight, are guiding us in this Epiphany sermon series. But just what is delight to you and to me? What is delight to God? How does our understanding of delight impact our daily lives? And how are we called to delight in being servants to God? Delight, we understand as pleasing someone, taking pleasure in, deriving joy, giving joy. Google, again, shared with me that there are about 96 synonyms and expressions in the English language for the word we know as delight. We're familiar with most of them, glee and joy, pleasure, satisfaction, but there were some others that were a little puzzling. Mirth, hilarity, enchantment, for example. 
But I want to know more about the biblical meaning of the word delight. So I want to go a little bit deeper so that we can have a greater understanding of our own being called to delight. Delight is mentioned throughout Scripture. I've discovered in doing this exegesis for this, um, for this passage. And the Hebrew word is kafetz. It is pleasure. It's a precious thing, but it goes deeper. The deeper meaning is to be mindful of, to keep, to protect, to attend to, to care for. It appears in Genesis and Deuteronomy and Job and Esther and Jeremiah, Isaiah and Ruth and on and on. We hear it in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. We hear, do not let the wise boast in their wisdom. Do not let the mighty boast in their might. Do not let the wealthy boast in their wealth. But those who boast, boast in this, that they understand and know me, that I am the Lord. I act with steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in all the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. So it is in loving kindness, it is in justice and righteousness that the Lord our God takes delight. And it is when we see these evidenced in the world and in our lives that we may also take delight, for we will know when we are living our lives, living out justice and righteousness and loving others, that our lives are then pleasing to God. There were several Greek words that are translated as delight. Apophlopsi is one. Joy and gladness, those words that we're familiar with, but also agreeableness, being a good companion, being fun. Another word that's akin to it is kara, joy. It's derived from the Greek word charis for grace. So this word was really helpful in understanding that joy and delight are not human-derived, but they are divinely given expressions to humankind. Another Greek word is heideus, heideus, which is gladly. With pleasure. We hear this one. I want to share this one because it's in Mark 12, 37. We know this passage. It's where a scribe asked Jesus to tell him what the first commandment of God is. And Jesus recites the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, 4. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And then Jesus expands and says, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than this. Mark writes that a large crowd listened to Jesus with delight. What might it mean if we too listen to Jesus with delight? I can imagine this crowd listening to Jesus and having a sense of hope and joy when they hear Jesus's teaching Hope for being loved by God, just as they were. Sinners and tax collectors, yes. 
but also women and children living in poverty, people who lived on the edges of society, way more people feeling included than the men who governed and ruled their lives. These people delighted in hearing that they were included too in God's love and that they then had a sense of hope in the midst of their own suffering. Perhaps this can give us a deeper meaning of the word delight. When we are suffering, that we can also hope in Jesus' presence with us, just like the crowd that was gathered there and heard Jesus' words. I like to think of delight also in terms of abundance. Once we were nothing, we were dry as dust, and then we were everything. We were filled to the brim with God's mercy and forgiveness and love because of our God and Jesus Christ. Once the ancient Israelites felt desolate and forsaken, but God was always with them, and the same is true for us. We may feel forsaken, we may suffer, we may be sick, But our God is steadfastly beside us, and in this we can take delight. In the reading from the prophet Isaiah, we heard of a restoration that was coming to the people of Israel once who felt far off from God, for they were exiled as aliens in this strange land of Babylon. The prophet is telling that a time is coming when they will be given a new name by God, there, they shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord. No longer will they be forsaken, but God is going to give them a new name. My delight is in her. This emergence of a new people is going to be like an epiphany, revealing her beauty, her new identity. Everything is about to change, and the change Rest not in anything that the people must do, but in God's enduring love for them. Can you imagine God taking such delight in you? Taking such delight in us. Taking such delight in this body of Christ to rename us. My delight is in her. And then I think of Mary. Mother of Jesus, her deep knowledge of Holy Scripture, how she would have known these words spoken by the prophet and so many more, like how God stands with the oppressed and the poor, for she too lived as a poor peasant girl with her mom. We know that Mary was a deep thinker, that she pondered all that was said and done and treasured everything in her heart. She was reflective and wise in her quiet way. And so here she is with her son, just shortly after his baptism by his cousin John. Mary is there. Jesus has just called these disciples that are there with him. And all of these guests are there at the wedding in Cana. And we hear of what's happening, the festivities, the dilemma. But the context of this is that back in the day, weddings lasted days, a week, or 10 days. So 
We don't know exactly what day this scene takes place in, but what we do know from the passage is that the host would serve the best wine first so that people could really taste and appreciate what they were drinking, like serving a nice Tempranillo or a red Zinfandel, if you will, and then later maybe bring out the Gallo Jug Chablis or the box of Franzia Merlot or something like that. So we're somewhere towards the end of the week when Mary, the mother of Jesus, quietly observes what is happening. The wine is gone. The text says the wine gave out. So there's another Greek word for you, hysterio. It's an interesting verb. It's used by the rich young man in Matthew's gospel that asked Jesus, what do I lack? It's also used in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke's gospel, where the young man is described as impoverished. It means to fall short to be inferior, to be left out, to be last. Paul uses it in his letter to the church at Corinth to describe the body of Christ, that we are called to give the greatest honor to the least, the most inferior in our midst. The wine gave out. The vessels are dry as desert bones. They have nothing more to give. They have fallen short. They're impoverished. They're inferior now. They lack for everything. Mary sees what is happening. She ponders and she speaks to her son. We moms have something that I like to call our quiet voice. With my own children and grandchildren, I use it when I have something really important that I think they need to hear and that they might not want to hear, but they have to lean in to hear me. And then I whisper. Mary whispers to her son, they have no wine. Mary sees the people gathered as impoverished in this moment. They're having a great time. And now with no wine, the festivities cannot go on. But this isn't all that Mary sees. She is a deep and reflective thinker. She is a keen observer. She doesn't miss anything. So she whispers to her son, they have no wine. He receives her words, as most offspring do, initially bristling a little or a lot. What concern is this of us, mother? And then he adds something so significant. My hour is not yet come. It's significant because of the underlying message. That is in John's gospel. Mary is never named. She's only mentioned by her relationship to her son. And she's only mentioned two times. At the beginning of his ministry and as he breathes his last breath. So this statement by Jesus is so poignant. It's as though through John's writing, we are given a hint of what is to come, the very pathway that is already set in motion before Jesus, 
his mother who gave him birth. He's here at the beginning of his ministry and is going to stay with him until he breathes his last breath. Her life brackets her son's life, and she envelops him in her love. But what does she already know? Does she know that his ministry is going to be to the poor and oppressed, the forsaken and the forgotten, those for whom the world has in all essence considered dried up? What has Jesus maybe already shared with her in the first 30 years of his life? What all might she be pondering? There's definitely an epiphany about to happen. But it's only the third day of Jesus' ministry. He's still feeling his way, finding his grounding, getting his firm footing. He's got his mom beside him. She stands off quietly to the side, observing everything that's taking place. As we mamas do, she doesn't miss a beat. Jesus and his disciples are there as invited guests of the wedding party. It's not their job to replace the wine or the food or anything else. Can you even imagine going to a wedding and you run out of something and you run, bring in some deviled eggs or something? It would just be quite rude, right? Mary sees the bigger picture. She knows all that the prophets have written. She knows the hopes and the dreams of the people of God. And in this moment, she sees an audience for her son to reveal himself to, to get the ball rolling, if you will. So she whispers to him, they have no wine. Jesus after first dismissing his mother's words, sees the bigger picture too, and we understand this because of John's writing, where he adds, my hour has not yet come. It's as though he responds, now, mother, now? There's no denying the prodding of Jesus' mother or his responsiveness to her doing so. He begins to see what she sees. That if he does nothing, these gathered people will not experience the abundance of God's grace and love. They'll miss out. The world will miss out. There's no denying the importance of Mary's prodding her son in this moment. It is significant and enduring. Mary says no more. Again, it's in our quiet voices, our quiet gestures Sometimes no more words are necessary to our children. She knows he will respond. So she glances at him while speaking directly to the wine steward, saying, do whatever he tells you. She knows in her heart that he's going to do what he must, and he does, and the world is forever changed. God's kingdom is revealed through the incarnation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And in this moment, it can no longer be denied. In this moment, an epiphany occurs. The glory of God is shown all around by the actions of Christ our Lord. Jesus says to the wine stewards, fill the vessels to the brim. Brim is from the Greek word ano, meaning anew. Brand new, 
think abundance. Not just a little bit of wine, not the inferior wine, but the abundance of God's goodness that they all needed in order that they might be the first ones to bear witness to the glory of God. I want to share with you one more passage about absolute drought to abundance, from not having anything to having grace overflowing. It too is from the prophet Isaiah from chapter 55, speaking to those still desolate in exile, those feeling forsaken. Behold, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Listen carefully to me. Eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and listen to me so that you may live. Jesus turns water into wine so that we might have abundance, so that we might go from feeling forsaken and alone into a people who experience God's goodness and abundance, God's mercy and grace and love, so that we might delight in God and God in us. Perhaps when the blinders fall from our eyes, we too will be enabled and empowered to see as Jesus' disciples, his mother, and all of those gathered at the wedding They saw this epiphany of abundance right before them. My friends, if we take the incarnation seriously, once the word became flesh, the rest of the gospel shows us what grace tastes like, looks like, smells like, sounds like, feels like. And then it begins to make sense that it began with this miracle. It's not simply about turning water into wine, but it's about the miracle of abundance, of extravagant celebration, and of delighting in God's presence. In this moment, Jesus doesn't tell us about God's abundant grace. He tangibly shows us and he gives the people something to taste. The details of abundance cannot be overlooked in this text. There are six water jars, each holding 20 to 30 gallons, filled not halfway up, but to the brim, not with a cheap wine, but with the very, very best. The amount in and of itself is extraordinary, but the best wine at this point in a wedding celebration, unheard of. It's one thing to say Jesus is the source of grace, It's quite another for us to have an experience of it. All of those gathered now, including each one of us, have just experienced such abundant grace. The great theologian, civil rights leader, and modern-day prophet Martin Luther King Jr., whose birthday we celebrate tomorrow, said, Christianity is the most optimistic religion in the world. For it recognizes the heightening dimensions of God's grace and how God's grace comes in and picks us up so that over and against human sin stands God's grace. You can never understand life until you understand the meaning of grace. The whole of life hinges on the ever-flowing power and stream of God's grace. It's pure gift to us from God that we don't deserve that we so desperately need, 
that none of us can live without. My friends, we experience such abundant, extravagant grace every time we are invited to the table of our Lord. We pastors say this is not a Presbyterian table or the table of this congregation, but it's a table of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and it is he who invites you to come. We say, come, all of you who are weary and in need of rest, and you will find rest here at this table. We say, come, all of you who have much faith and you who struggle with your faith. We say, come, for it is Jesus who has prepared the table for you and invites you to come. Jesus could have said these words to those gathered at the wedding. He could have said, come, it is I who serve you the good wine. It is I who overflow the brim with the good stuff. It is I who invite you to experience the abundance of God's grace. Come and taste and see that it is good. They went to the wedding as guests. His mother whispered to him, He responded and became the host. And at the end of the day, his disciples believed in him. Now, as we go from this place, may we have a clearer understanding of God's abundant, extravagant grace, freely given to each one of us overflowing beyond the brims of our lives, spilling forth for all the world to see as we delight in the Lord our God by the way that we live our lives, seeking out the least among us, bringing in those who live on the margins, welcoming each one into our midst with open arms. And then, then our God will delight in even us. May it be so. And to God be all glory, honor, and praise. Amen. This morning we have been graced to hear the voice of God, music and scripture and a message. And so I invite you as you're able to join me in standing as we rededicate our lives to Christ through saying together an affirmation of faith. We believe in God who has created and is creating, who has come in Jesus, the word made flesh, to reconcile and make new, who works in us and others by the Spirit, We trust in God. We are called to be the church, to celebrate God's presence, to live with respect in creation, to love and serve others, to seek justice and resist evil, to proclaim Jesus crucified and risen, our judge and our hope. In life, in death, In life beyond death, God is with us. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. As God has spoken to us, we have such a rich opportunity to speak back, knowing that this is not a one-way conversation, but a two-way. So I invite you now, would you join me in a prayer?
Oh, good morning, Jesus. Thank you for the warmth of this place and the beauty of this day. Thank you for bringing us safely to this place of worship, whether it is on the couch at home, whether it is midweek and we're watching this in a recording, or whether we are here in person. God, it is good to be together with you. And as we celebrate today the life that you give us every day, and we praise you and we thank you, God, we thank you for the opportunity to share what's going on in our lives. And not just as a speaking into the void of an unknown, but knowing how responsive you are to us, your people. As we woke this morning, we remember that there are so many others that woke up earlier to plow our roads to give us safety, to make sure that our water is running and our lights are turning on. We are also keenly aware of those who are serving in the healthcare industry who are tired, who've been working too long, who have been covering shifts for each other, who are helping to save lives and care for us when we get sick. And so, God, we thank you for them. We thank you also for all who are in education, in school administration, for teachers and all personnel, for administrators. God, they are working double time as if their jobs were easy to begin with. With all of the added difficulty of all that has been going on the last two years, God, we just beg of you to give them energy and rest Give them deep friendships and grace to envelop them as they recover and as they endure some days and celebrate others. Lord, we remember all those who have been affected by this terrible disaster down in Dallas. We thank you that the standoff is finished and that those that were held hostage in a synagogue have been released safely. But God, this happens too much. We don't understand why violence and people held in captivity is a means to an answer for some. And so we lift to you our questions and our frustrations. And we invite you to come. To come and heal this community from this trauma. To come alongside these people and to be their shoulder to cry on. And Lord... We grieve for all for whom violence seems to be the next right step. We ask that your peace and your comfort would reign in and beyond our community. And we remember today and tomorrow and in the days to come the life of one of your saints, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who advocated for the cause of justice and equity and respect and love in our country. And God, we ask that the torch that he bore so brightly would continue to be carried by us, by your children, by your church, who stands as a beacon of hope and justice and love for all. And so we lift to you, Lord, these prayers. We give to you those who aren't feeling good today, those who are feeling ill, whether it is in body, in mind, or in spirit, and ask that your healing would rest upon them. So we give to you all these prayers and the multitude unspoken and lift them with your own words in the prayer that you taught us, saying together, 
our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now as those who have been reminded that we are a people that derive their life from the abundant goodness and grace and provision of God, we get every day to celebrate that by giving of our lives to the endless one. And so one of the many ways that we do so is through the giving of tithes and offerings to God. We do this out of obedience of scripture and also as a spiritual act of worship, that these gifts would impact someone's life, that they would be transformed into a means of grace for someone else. So I invite our ushers to come forward and receive our gifts to God. Jesus. Mm-hmm. 
us turn again to God in prayer. Gracious God, you blessed the work of our hands. You blessed us with resources and talents to share in your service. You've entrusted us with gifts to share for the building up of your kingdom in the here and now and the kingdom yet to come. Bless all that we bring to you to meet the needs of your people, we pray, near and far. Bless and use them to your honor and to your glory, to your joy and to your delight. Through Christ we pray. Amen. brothers and sisters in Christ, every morning I pray to God that all that I do and say will bring honor and glory and joy to God. And now I'm going to add the word delight. And so I would give that to you. Let that be your morning prayer too, that all that you do and say every day will bring honor and glory and joy and delight to Almighty God. And as you go forth into this world, may the love of God, the peace of Christ, The fellowship of the Holy Spirit of God abide with each and every one of you, binding you to one another and to Almighty God now and forevermore. And let God's people say, Amen.
Right before he's named Delta, we will notice the note. I, I hope people notice that. I do too. We got the significance of why we did right, exactly. that high piece today. Thank you. 